success Harder, better, faster, stronger Not, not, not that that don't kill me Can only make me stronger I need you to hurry up now Cause I can't wait much longer I know I got to be right now Cause I can't get much stronger Man, I've been waiting all night now That's how long I've been on ya Thank you for listening to the Daily Sports Report On 88.3 FM Ann Arbor, where the puck drops here. Let's get lost tonight. You could be my black Kate Moss tonight. Play secretary on the ball tonight. And you don't give a f- what they all say, right? Awesome, the Christian and Christian Dior. Damn, they don't make them like this anymore. I ask this, I'm not sure. Do anybody make real th- anymore? Bow in the presence of greatness. Cause right now, that has forsaken us. You should be honored by my lateness. That I would even show up to this place. So go ahead, go nuts, go ace. Especially in my pastel on my plate. Act like you can't tell who made this new gospel. Homie, take six and take this. Hater. Uh, Neil and Bud, uh, the President of the United States is in his office now and would like to say a few words to you, Robert. Hello, Neil and Bud. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And as you talk to us from the sea of tranquility, it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to Earth. For one priceless moment in the whole history of man, all the people on this Earth are truly one. WCBN FM Ann Arbor keeping Richard Nixon's vision of peace and global unity alive with sounds and music from all the cultures of all the people all over the world. If you hear uh, like you think the ones on what do you call music at the restaurants or on the elevators? That music is destructive. That music if we had good music playing for people in a happy society on the streets, you know? I feel like uh, my music, I have a new record coming out. I just feel like, well, maybe this time they'll hear it. Well, it's a little after 6.30 p.m., and uh, you are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And a kind of an interesting week. We've got a bishop. Actually, he's a pope. But uh, I heard that the ex-pope is going to be called a bishop. So, Well, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately uh, a and cardinal is just a sort of advanced form of bishop. Yeah. As you matriculate up the uh, spectrum of the hierarchy there. Um, and so the Pope is ultimately the Bishop of Rome. Yeah. And this guy's sort of a dark horse. He wasn't one of the con- favorites. In fact, the actual yep. uh, Brazilian uh, person was considered one of the favorites. But this is an older man, apparently uh, adopting St. Francis of Assisi's an moniker. pick, yeah. And he's got some uh, obviously good qualities that I think are a departure from the past, uh, dedicated to the poor and whatnot. Apparently, and it's interesting politically about the connection. I'm not much of an expert on the on the papacy, nor do I plan to become one. (laughs) 
other than continuing to mock Catholicism in general. But uh, obviously, it's an important situation because of the fact that there are 1.2 billion Catholics worldwide, uh, 400 million in Latin America. And this is a historical departure, which I think is significant. And obviously, this is going to be a a pope that's not going to be in power that long. That's part of the game plan, choosing an older pope. uh, Consensus pick. Probably a kind of a, let's, uh, kind of a Gerald R. Ford kind of thing. Let's get some stability in here for a little while and clean some of these scandals up, because I think uh, the Catholic Church is besotted with scandal that uh, the last two popes uh, quite obviously did not handle uh, properly. But it's fascinating to me about all of this sort of backlash about the Argentinian dirty war. (laughs) Did he do enough? What did he do? What was his role? And there seems to be a pretty interesting analysis of that. The Argentinian military junta historically was cut off from American aid by Jimmy Carter in the late 70s by a human rights policy that Jimmy Carter adopted as president. That policy was reversed by Ronald Reagan. No discussion of Ronald Reagan's involvement with the Argentinian military junta. Or with the Nixon-Kissinger involvement. And, of course, the fascinating thing about America's involvement with the Argentinian military junta, it's got a certain ring to it. Quite a mouthful was the role that uh, the Reagan administration played in the Falkland Islands War, which Mm. has been in the news a little bit lately. Uh, They apparently are having a referendum fairly soon on the issue. Uh, The Argentinians call the Falkland Islands the Maldives. And the Argentinian military junta trained the Contras. And in some fascinating new historical research that's come out in the last couple of years, not so much on the Argentinian War, the Dirty War, so to speak, uh, estimated to be about 30,000 uh, so-called uh, disappeareds. I don't remember the exact Spanish word for that, but it might come to me in a second. But uh, interesting how the uh, uh, in the initial phases of the Falkland War involving Great Britain and uh, Galtieri, that was his name, the head man at the time, the Reagan administration was very tepid in supporting the British at first. This contributed apparently to Alexander Haig's eventual resignation. And of course, uh, the training of the Contras by America uh, at the time was uh, guerrilla warfare. Uh, Certainly the war in Nicaragua is one of Reagan's uh, disgraceful legacies. And I am not surprised that the American media hasn't mentioned Ronald Reagan in connection with the Argentinian military junta. Or the School of the Americas, so-called, where uh, members of the Argentine military junta who did contra training were themselves trained, uh, where Manuel Noriega and numerous other uh, military goon uh, squad-style henchmen types were trained throughout the years. Um, a big byproduct of uh, the Reagan era attempt to sort of breathe new life into the Cold War, which is essentially what uh, Reagan's rooting about in Central and South America was. And of course, the Falkland Wars ended in defeat for Argentina 
it was a sort of a superficial uh, victory for Margaret Thatcher. And the book that I read recently about the uh, relationship between Thatcher and Reagan pretty much showed that they weren't quite as close as the media suggested to the public, that they actually had quite a number of diplomatic differences, specifically over the Falkland Wars, uh, the bombing of Libya in 1986, as well as the Grenada War. Um, Grenada, of course, was another former British colony in the region, and uh, Reagan did not consult the British before uh, very hastily calling for the invasion of Grenada, which, of course, the anniversary of that's coming up later uh, in October, uh, several days after the Lebanon truck bombing. Which killed a couple hundred Marines. Yeah, 240 Marines, uh, pretty much the worst. I'm uh, sure privately uh, Margaret Thatcher thought Ronald Reagan was a complete moron um, and merely a figurehead. Well, they were into the, the style. The, they were friendly. Don't get me wrong. They were certainly, um, they met frequently, uh, and they were definitely in agreement on economic uh, um, policy uh, in general, in which they both basically wanted to dismantle the welfare state as quickly as they could figure out, and anti-union and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But they had far greater differences on foreign policy that have not been previously revealed. Mm -hmm. Also interesting to note that Margaret Thatcher met Gorbachev before she met Reagan, and she famously said that, quote, he is a man, and I'm paraphrasing here, a man that we can do business with. And this, of course, gave Gorbachev the sort of the veneer that he wasn't like previous Soviet leaders, that he was a little more on the ball, and he certainly was. And um, very interesting stuff is still coming out about the complex relationship between Ronald Reagan and the Argentinian military junta. One last uh, salvo on uh, the Pope. Um, I guess I have to offer a brain damage award of sorts to... Uh, Members of the media who actually uh, voiced the concern after uh, the elevation of this uh, Argentine bishop that uh, how disappointing it was that the Catholic Church picked someone who is openly uh, against abortion rights and against gay marriage. Well, it's the Catholic Church, okay? Yeah. You're not going to get that kind of progressivism at the top executive level. I mean... You go to your local priest for that sort of nuanced interpretation of, uh, you know, dogmatic Christianity. Uh, the American Catholic Church, of course, um, adheres to uh, the Pope's mandates, dictums, uh, traditional dogma, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, but uh, private individuals who practice their faith in their own chosen way, including regular attendees of Mass, uh, still use plenty of birth control, for example. So matters of personal discretion, I think, are largely uh, in the minds of American Catholics. Uh, having been raised Catholic myself and having sisters who still regularly attend Mass, I know this to be the case. Yeah. So uh, well, and you don't the... expect that sort of you know, progressivism from the Pope, and it's foolish to, to do so. Yeah, and that, of course, is one of the continuing issues with the uh, ca the future of the Catholic Church. Obviously, um, it's fading uh, in Western Europe and um, the United States. 
growing a little bit in Latin America, but even in Latin Amer- America, there is a sort of schism occurring. Uh, this pope is not an adherent to so-called liberation theology, for instance. But I think that these uh, theological issues are still uh, there. The divisions are there. It might be fascinating to, to see how many Russians, <laughs> due to the uh, rather uh, ambitious agenda, anti-gay agenda that they've been displaying lately, uh, drop the Eastern Orthodox <laughs> religion. <laughs> Become Catholic. To come back into the fold. Who knows? Yes, that's right. So, uh, well, it is, uh, as you say, uh, hopeful uh, to hear uh, concern for the poor. Uh, and let's face it, the disparity of wealth that's been engendered by globalism has uh, been particularly devastating in, in South America. And uh, if that at all is an agenda that the church chooses to pursue, uh, it's hard to fault them for that. And one final comment about Latin America, obviously the big news. Um, Chavez will not be embalmed. Well, they uh, must have heard Gray Matters then and realized, no, that's got bad idea written all over it. Bad idea written all over it, and apparently uh, the bishop <laughs> got there a little too late. He was too late. That's right. The Russian experts in embalming said that the uh, body was not attended to fast enough. It's actually surprising thinking back that uh, <laughs> there weren't some uh, on the right wing here at home in the good old USA uh, to suggest interring uh, the remains of Reagan in such a way. He's uh, made into such a virtually religious icon well, by he'd the already, conservative right. He'd already been to some extent probably pre-embalmed. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Between the uh, hair cream and the The shoe face polish cream. on the head was always a strange aspect of his <laughs> bobblehead appearance on television indeed bobblehead <laughs> forgot about that cyprus in the news fascinating to see uh, bank runs in cyprus mm. perhaps impacting the global economy uh who knew that the russians had uh, were using cyprus as sort of a cayman islands um bank deposit repository so to speak um putin has denounced this uh plan of uh, charging a fee on deposits and this strikes me i'll just give this out as a brain damage award if you want to create a bank run that's a pretty way pretty good way to do it <laughs> so they got the bank run and apparently they're closing the banks down for several days uh to i don't know what they're gonna do well you wonder the extent of the stability of those banks anyway since what kind of currencies are there uh cyprus of course itself still split between greek and turk um we all know where the greek economy's been and that's part of the problem yeah they, they own a lot of bad greek uh, debt so to speak so this is the infamous uh, term contagion uh and obviously the euro crisis is still with us so uh, it was interesting to hear some American economic anal- analyzers claim that this would be good for the American economy, that once again the dollar is king, it's the stable currency, and they are predicting an upturn, a continuing upturn in the stock market, which of course recently has uh, in some cases passed all-time highs, and in other cases, well, the, the NASDAQ's nowhere near an all-time high, but uh, some of the other indices have been close to all-time highs and of course just a couple of weeks ago um, <clears throat> the unemployment rate 
uh, went down to 7.7, the lowest uh, of Obama's presidency, the lowest in four years. Mm. And uh, 236,000 jobs were added. This, of course, before the uh, infamous sequestration um, that uh, maybe uh, Hugo Chavez should have paid more attention to. <laughs> he needed to be sequestered much quicker. <laughs> um so very interesting to see uh, this uh, euro crisis rearing its ugly head while uh, the uh, American politicians continue to debate uh, silly arguments about budget issues. So keep your eye on Cyprus. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well... Uh, as far as uh, other current events, I really don't have that much with me. But, of course, I've been continuing to peruse uh, Stanley Cutler's Abuse of Power. And uh, this week in March of 1973 brings us one of the most famous uh, exchanges in all of the available White House tapes. And that's the March 21st a conversation that involves uh, the president, John Dean, and Haldeman. And, of course, this is the uh, famous John Dean's cancer on the presidency uh, conversation. Oh, yes. And it's very interesting because earlier in the month, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about this, I think the week that you were uh, off, about the fact that March was sort of the beginning of the unraveling of the cover-up. Um, Nixon had become and was acutely aware he had a conversation or two with Tom Pappas who was acting as a bagman, and he began having more direct meetings with Dean. Busy days for bagmen. <laughs> yeah, busy days for bagmen. Um, there was an infamous uh, discussion between Haldeman and um, Nixon on the 2nd of March, 1973, in which they discuss um, Tom Pappas and uh, what he's been doing. And... Uh, he, uh, Nixon at one point, and I'm quoting here from the, uh, paraphrasing here from the 2nd of March conversation, he says, oh, I understand, because uh, uh, Nixon is told by Haldeman that Ambassador Tasca needs to stay in Athens, Greece to placate Pappas. Good. I understand. No problemo. <laughs> well, he didn't say problemo, but he said no problem. Maybe that's the origin of that. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Pappas has raised the cash for this and other activity or whatever it is. How's he doing? <laughs> and Haldeman says, I, I, I think, you know, I just think uh, unintelligible and then it raised money. Um, he's sort of uh, one of those unknown J. Paul Getty types. <laughs> mm. Nixon says, great, I'm just delighted. <laughs> and then Haldeman says, and he's able to raise cash. So, well, of course, Nixon is delighted. Yeah. And then they have a brief discussion about John Dean, which is interesting how he's been working on the, the case the whole time. And then uh, Nixon instructs Haldeman. He says, Colson is only to talk to you, to Ehrlichman or Dean. He's a lawyer. Yeah, there's all sorts of uh, cash concerns on this March 21st. Busy day uh, in the Oval Office here. Uh, Dean uh, speaking with Nixon. 
uh, says that uh, uh, Bob, I assume that's uh, Haldeman, right, uh, had $350,000 in a safe over here that was really set aside uh, re-pulling purposes. Uh, and there was no other source of money, so they came over here and said, you all have got to give us some money. $350,000 in cash in a safe. In the White House. In the White House. And, of course, uh, about a page and a half down, uh, the conversation turns to blackmail. Uh, Dean, that's right. Now the blackmail is continuing. Hunt is now demanding another 72000 for his own personal expenses, 50000 to pay for his attorney's fees, 120 thousand dollars Wants it. Wanted it by the close of business yesterday. He's made a direct threat against Ehrlichman as a result of this. He says, I will bring John Ehrlichman down to his knees and put him in jail. I have done seamy things for he and Egil Crow of the plumbers uh, that they'll never survive it. Of course, about another page later, President Nixon asks, uh, how much money do you need? Dean responds famously, I would say these people are going to cost a uh, million dollars over the next uh, two years. Pause. No problemo. <laughs> we could get that. <laughs> if you need the money, you could get the money. What I mean is you could get a million dollars. And you could get it in cash. I I know where it could be gotten. And of course, he knows where it had been, been where it could be gotten. Because... <laughs> Dean just goes, uh huh. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, I think I'm in over my head. <laughs> this is scary. Because of course, uh, just a couple of days earlier, I believe the date was the seventh of a very busy, another very busy day in the White House. Um, two weeks before the infamous cancer on the presidency uh, discussion. Uh, uh, Nixon actually meets with Pappas directly. Uh, there's a brief meeting in the White House, and he's fascinated to learn that uh, he's been working at this for eight months and has made 12 trips. And, of course, one of the other fascinating conversations that happens in a, in a, in a meeting with Dean uh, about setting up L. Patrick Gray, this was a meeting that took place on the 7th of March, uh, a, a discussion that took place on the 7th of March that lasted a little over an hour, and um, you get a real sense of what Nixon's really up to. Uh, basically, they're going to set Pat Gray up. He's become disenchanted with Pat Gray. He's not pulling his weight up there. He's giving them information. Not a team player. Not a team player. He's, he's, he's furious because uh, he wants the Senate Judiciary Committee to focus on uh, Patrick Gray's com uh, competence to lead the FBI. Of course, uh, Patrick Gray, unbeknownst to Nixon, but known to Dean, this is fascinating, had already destroyed important evidence in the Watergate case, uh, specifically the contents of E. Howard Hunt's safe. Now, I don't know if Hunt knew about the destruction of this evidence, but uh, this probably, the destruction of the evidence, ironically, would enable him to blackmail Nixon, if you think about it logically. Uh -huh. Because if they had the evidence, Hunt wouldn't be able to blackmail them. Uh, I doubt in, uh, that Hunt knew that L. Patrick Gray had either burned this, the contents of Hunt's safe uh, in a fireplace in Connecticut or thrown it into the river. There's still a debate about that. But it's great. At one point, Nixon tells Dean, I'll write the questions up for me if you want me to. Uh, you can take all of the Sullivan material. This is William Sullivan, number three man in the FBI. Mark Felt, by the way, was number two. He turned out to be deep throat. Uh, it doesn't make any difference whether it's hearsay or not. Dean says that's right. Then 
the game. The game is played according not to the rules. It's played according to the headlines. So what he wants to do is set Al Patrick Gray up with questions that he's presumably going to feed to, to Howard Baker. He's very concerned about getting Howard Baker on his side on the Senate committee mm-hmm. so that he can then claim that the White House in previous years had been doing, quote, electronic surveillance at the request of the FBI. And it's just fascinating material. He's going to get Gray to lie and then have him withdraw his name from consideration for permanent. Uh, he at the time was acting director of the FBI, but uh, uh, from permanent uh, uh, control of the FBI. Ultimately, I was asking a lot of uh, Howard Baker, too, who was put in a very difficult position, of course, uh, given his, you know, regarding his own credibility and respectability. Yeah. How much of the Nixon line am I going to, you know, be a loyal uh, party member and, you know, adhere to the line? And when do I cut myself free? And, of course, some of the conversations with Nixon are fascinating because they are essentially Nixon talking to the tape recorder himself to sort of make it look like he's a little more innocent than he is. Uh, He does this in some conversations with certain people, and then in other conversations he's uh, rather careless about what he reveals. But, of course, you got to read the transcripts very closely to get a sense of what Nixon knew and when he knew it as Howard Baker would later famously say uh, in the uh, uh, Senate uh, committee hearings that uh, would occur in the summer of 73. What did the president know and when did he know it? Indeed. Well, uh, one thing we do know here is that there's about five minutes to go in the Gray Matters program uh, this evening. And uh, while we'll continue to uh, cover the... uh, 40th anniversary of the uh, unraveling of the cover-up, I want to remind listeners that uh, this week, in fact, tomorrow, the Ann Arbor Film Festival is starting up, and one of the highlight features, certainly for us here on Gray Matters, is the Sunday, March 24th. That's a 3 p.m. show. It's a feature film in competition entitled Our Nixon, and it's comprised of... uh, Footage on Super 8 uh, home movie cameras of Nixon uh, palling it up with uh, comrades and uh, fellow soldiers in arms. Actually filmed by Haldeman Ehrlichman and Dwight Chapin. This film was seized by the FBI during the Watergate investigation, filed away and forgotten. Now uh, visible for the first time right here at the Michigan Theater on Sunday the 24th. And of course, there's a whole range of other uh, fabulous opportunities to engage in. Uh, the finest that uh, cutting-edge cinema has to offer uh, at the Ann Arbor Film Festival. Uh, Dick and I usually attend this pretty regularly and heavily, heavily, and uh, suggest that you do the same. There's a lot of good stuff to see here. Yeah, there's a very interesting program, too, on, uh, what is that, Wednesday, the... 4.30. The 4.30 showing on the on uh, Thompson. E.P. Thompson, right. A very interesting uh Left, right, left, left wing historian uh, who wrote a lot of very interesting uh, studies of working class people uh, in, during his career. I'm sure he was a Oxford don, as There's they say. Also, another film by uh, Peter Mettler, who directed uh, the film Petropolis, that mm-hmm. uh, you and I thought very highly of from yeah. the 49th Festival. That was a film about the uh, Canadian coal tar sands. 
Uh, his uh, new film is called The End of Time and will be showing at 7 p.m. on Friday at the Ann Arbor Festival, Film Festival right there at the Michigan Theater. Um, and this one uh, deals with uh, aspects and problems uh, related to time, entropy, and uh, where our society uh, and our very uh, Earth itself stand in context to uh, some of these broader concepts of uh, time, entropy, and decay. And very interesting, too, because just this past week it was revealed by some of the media in Detroit that the Marathon Oil Company is dumping a uh, <clears throat> tar-like substance that is uh, euphemistically called Petco. There are enormous piles of this appearing in the downriver area of Detroit. Wow. Courtesy of Marathon Oil, they claim they don't own it, and it's being refined by another corporation of unknown <laughs> identity at the moment. Uh, but this oil apparently is coming from Alberta, the tar sands oil. Wow. This is already being pipeli pipelined into the United States. So there's a continuing debate about the Keystone Pipeline, hmm. but rest assured that Canadian oil is being refined right here uh, 45 miles from good old Ann Arbor. Luckily, we're upwind, <laughs> and this is blowing into Canada. But no the doubt. Canadian government and environmentalists on the Canadian side of the river uh, have expressed concern about this product that's called Petco, <laughs> which is apparently... It's not for your pets. <laughs> short for petroleum and coal or something. Yeah. Maybe cobalt. Well, maybe they can find a way to package it as food, some sort of cheese puff, for example, if they could just spray paint it with that day-glow orange stuff that cheese puffs are coated in. Um, <laughs> heaven help us. Uh, also, not really uh, part of the Ann Arbor Film Festival itself, but uh, worthy of your consideration. There are two screenings. Uh, well, one, I guess, now, because it's already underway. Uh, the Michigan Theater had, for four days, uh, the new film by Werner Herzog, um, this is called Happy People, A Year in the Taiga. It's uh, another one of his fine documentaries about people who live in extreme circumstances and uh, live very simple lives, but as a result are very happy people. Beautiful footage, uh, nice uh, look at just how uh, durable uh, the human uh, animal is, and uh, just a look at a, a way of life most of us can only imagine. If you have friends or are yourself a, a hunter or trapper, uh, you've, you've got to see this film to see uh, how people who live year-long in the midst of Siberia. Showing at 8 o'clock tonight uh, is the last screening available at the Michigan Theater of uh, Herzog's Happy People. Yes, indeed. Uh, just to thank Andrew uh, once again this evening for engineering here on Gray Matters, uh, here on WCBN-FM and Arbor Yazoo City Calling will be coming up very shortly. And I'm sure that Herzog made more than 12 trips, as Pappas assures Nixon. <laughs> and I love Nixon's response. He says, well, of course, I, I thought it was the most stupid thing. He's talking about Watergate. <laughs> but, you know, amateurs is what it was. Amateurs. Believe me. <laughs> That's a revealing comment. So here's Nixon telling Pappas, who's essentially the bag man. This is the 3-7 uh, conversation that... <laughs> He knows they were amateurs. Believe me, he was a pro. Right. Head <laughs> breaking and entering. Uh, still wonder about that <clears throat> Duke Law exam caper right. that may have gotten him uh, 
not hired by the FBI. And that's another fascinating story that we'll have to tell you about sometime because uh, Nixon was curious why he wasn't hired by the FBI. And one historian made the note, well, if he'd been hired by the FBI, uh, 